You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Hacks and rumors of hacks surrounding U.S.-Iranian tension. Ukrainian authorities are looking into the Burisma hack and they'd like FBI assistance. The FBI quietly warns that two U.S. cities were hacked by a foreign service. The New York Fed has thoughts on how a cyber attack could cascade into a run on banks. Arrests and a site takedown in the WeLeak Info case. And a quick look at the chum being dangled in front of prospective phishing victims these days. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 17th, 2020. U.S. jitters about the possibility of Iranian cyber attacks persist. While many of the warnings are founded largely on a priori probability, CyberInt reminds everyone that Iran does have a track record in cyberspace, and it's probably worth reviewing that record given recent events. During heightened periods of tension, misdirection is often successful – and Fortune cites experts who caution against jumping to conclusions. False flags are always a possibility, and Russia has flown an Iranian false flag in the past. Britain's GCHQ and the American NSA this past October issued a joint warning that the Russian threat group Turla had used Iranian infrastructure to carry out a range of operations. While most of the cyber activity arriving in the wake of Iranian proxy attacks on U.S. personnel and installations in Iraq and the U.S. drone strike that killed the commander of Iran's Quds Force has been low-level defacement of low-level websites, there have been more serious instances of online threats. Families of deployed U.S. paratroopers are receiving harassment in social media. The source is unclear, the Military Times reports. The 82nd Airborne Division deployed its first brigade combat team to the region early this month in response to increased tension. The division is briefing family members back in Fort Bragg and Fayetteville, North Carolina, on how to stay safe online and how to respond to threats made in social media. There are signs, Military Times says, that the division's Morale, Welfare and Recreation Network, a communications network that supports soldiers and their families in ways its name suggests, had been compromised and that hostile actors had used information gained from the compromise to threaten or frighten families. A representative sample of the messaging is, quote, If you like your life and you want to see your family again, pack up your stuff right now and leave the Middle East. Go back to your country. 
you and your terrorist clown president brought nothing but terrorism. You fools underestimate the power of Iran. The recent attack on your expletive bases was just a little taste of our power. By killing our general, you dug your own grave. Before having more dead bodies, just leave the region for good and never look back. So there. Again, it's unclear whether this particular psychological operation is being directed from Tehran. It's just as likely to be the work of inspired freelancing amateurs. Reuters reports that Ukrainian authorities have asked for FBI assistance in investigating the alleged Burisma hack by Russia's GRU and related matters. The White House also says U.S. President Trump may raise the Burisma affair with Russian President Putin. It's worth noting that the Burisma hack, while Area 1's report has been widely accepted, is still a developing story. As E&E News points out, the story absolutely passes the laugh test, but the Area 1 report may not have entirely closed the case. ZDNet reports that the FBI has quietly warned industry partners that two unnamed U.S. municipalities have been successfully breached by nation-state hackers. Their preferred attack has come through the SharePoint CVE 2019-0604 vulnerability, and thus city governments and others who use SharePoint should look to their patching. The Bureau doesn't say which nation-state was behind the attack, or even if there was more than one nation-state involved. CVE 2019-0604 has been popular with both spies and crooks. Looking at the spies, ZDNet notes that Palo Alto Networks has seen China's emissary Panda making its way into targets through this particular flaw. But, of course, which country prompted the FBI's warning remains publicly unknown. A report by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York concludes that a cyber attack on a small number of banks could propagate rapidly through the U.S. financial system through the wholesale payments network. It's not necessarily that the malware itself would spread, but rather the way an attack's effects would be amplified by practices like liquidity hoarding, creating a virtual run on the bank. The Fed glumly calls the study a pre-mortem analysis, which seems more pessimistic than alternatives like assessment, diagnosis, or prognosis. We know, we know, John Maynard Keene said that in the long run we are all dead, and we get it. Heck, our sports desk even keeps up Father Time is undefeated memento around. But come on, Fed economist, throw us a bone here and give us something to hope for. Pre-mortems forsooth. U.S. authorities have seized WeLeakInfo's domain as part of an international law enforcement operation against the online market that dealt in compromised credentials. Two men associated with WeLeakInfo have been arrested, according to Computing and others, one in Northern Ireland, the other in the Netherlands. Bleeping Computer observes that one need look no farther than this particular case to see that the authorities, in general and around the world, take a very dim view of those who traffic in stolen credentials. What's the fish bait most commonly used in the wild? What subject lines do the hoods think you, friend, are going to swallow hook, line, and sinker? No before says it's seeing these. SharePoint, approaching SharePoint site storage limit. Microsoft, Anderson Houck has shared a whiteboard with you. Office 365, medium severity alert, unusual volume of file deletion. FedEx, correct address needed for your package delivery. USPS, your digital receipt is ready. Twitter, your Twitter account has been locked. Google, please complete the required steps. Cash App, your account has been closed. Coinbase, important, please resolve error now. And, would you mind taking a look at this invoice? Would I mind? Yes. Yes, I would. What do these exhibit? 
that the fish tend to bite from fear, from greed, or out of a desire to cooperate. And finally, we close with another bit of good news. Bitdefender has released a decryptor for Paradise Ransomware. Bravo, Bitdefender. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the VP of Research at Terbium Labs. Uh, Emily, I know something that you all have been tracking with the work you do uh, with uh, fraud and uh, identity protection and, and so on um, is tracking this development of synthetic identity detection. Uh, what are you looking at when it comes to that? So to give your uh, your listeners just a quick reminder, synthetic identities are identities that are pieced together using either components from multiple real IDs or some combination of real IDs and fake information. And so synthetic IDs might, for example, mean using a real address, someone else's date of birth, for example, and perhaps the social security number of a child or a social that hasn't been issued yet. And so with that composite information, then a criminal might go and apply for credit, for example, and try and open um, a credit card or create a credit profile in some way. And if we Hmm. think about that situation and say, well, surely they must flag that and say, you know, a three-month-old can't possibly be trying to take out a $10,000 loan, you might hope (laughs) that. But as with so many things in this space, that's simply not true. However, Uh. not all hope is lost in theory. Um, (laughs) Cautious optimism. A couple of years ago, we heard that there was a tool in development from the Social Security Administration that would be issued to banks and other financial institutions and perhaps a few others in this sort of credit space that would allow them to verify information with whatever loans or requests they have coming in against the Social Security Administration database. Again, this sounds like something Mm. that should have existed all along, but it doesn't. Uh, it didn't. And it might now. So that information, that um, that tool first kind of came up a couple of years ago, and it looks like heading into next year, this may finally become available to some of these institutions. And I'm very curious to see what this uncovers about synthetic identity fraud and the rates in which certain groups have been exploited for this, because right now, the numbers are a little bit all over the place. We know it's 
very popular for automobile fraud, for example, but it's been a really hard thing for institutions mm. to track. And as they have access to this tool, I think we're going to start to see some interesting, uh, interesting shakeups there. Are there any concerns that the the tool could be used in the other direction? That uh, bad guys could, uh, you know, slip someone uh, money who has access to this tool to to get legit social security information? Absolutely, that's almost certainly going to happen. I think that yeah. is. It is only reasonable to assume that that is going to be the case. The same way that criminals have mm. access to things like DMV databases, voter databases, they gain access to hospitals. One would hope that whoever is developing this tool for these financial institutions and Social Security Administration are going to think about ways to keep that safe. But no system is infallible, and you're going to have a lot of people from a lot of different institutions who are going to be trying to use this to run a variety of queries. And so I expect that we will see fraudulent access. I think it will be a few years before we hear about that happening. But I'm hoping that on balance, this will allow these institutions to do a check of their backlog of requests, for example, and say, hey, you know, it occurs to me that if there's a social security number that hasn't been issued yet, they maybe shouldn't have six credit cards. It's really hard with something like this where you have to, you want to assume that it has existed the whole time and to find out that only right. just now it's potentially coming into play. And of course, these are estimates about when it's being released, right? The estimates are that starting in summer of 2020, a handful of companies will begin to be able to check this service. Now, of course, those companies also needed to help fund this service and they are responsible to pay a fee going forward on this service. And so, you know, I, I think we can hope that whatever they've paid to put this together, they will be able to reap the benefits by preventing fraud on however many millions of accounts. If we find out that however many million children have had their social security numbers used to create these synthetic IDs, how do we go about fixing that? Do we reissue those socials? Do we provide credit freezes for those children? Do we begin credit monitoring on these two-year-olds? What does the aftermath hmm. look like? How do you inform parents or guardians of that situation? Where do we go from here? And how do we, you know, what is the next thing that criminals are going to do to continue to try to exploit this? Um, and so those are some big questions yeah. that we need to be thinking about now before companies go in and start finding this information um, so that we can, we can be ready when that information is available. Hmm. All right. Well, Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Eric Hazeltine. He's former director of research at NSA 
and prior to that was executive vice president of Disney Imagineering. His new book is The Spy in Moscow Station, a counter-spy's hunt for a deadly Cold War threat. The book is about a six-year hunt for a devastating leak in our national security that was getting a lot of our assets, that is, Russian citizens who were spying for us, arrested and executed. And what motivated me to write the book is that when I was at NSA, I got the very strong impression that certain countries, especially Russia, were far advanced in certain kinds of spy tradecraft over us. And I needed to raise people's awareness of it. And that was the main reason that I wrote the book and that the main character in the book, Charles Gandy, wanted to have his story told. Well, take us through the story. I mean, give us an overview of, uh, of how this all played out. Well, Gandhi went to Moscow in the spring of 1978, and it just so happened that when he was there, they broke into a false chimney because someone had heard noises there. And they found a antenna and some electronics connected to that antenna that were clearly some kind of eavesdropping device the Russians had snuck into the embassy, and it was pointed at the ambassador's office. Hmm. Gandhi actually got his hands on the antenna and listened through it with his special gear, and he figured out what was happening. And what he figured out was that the Russians had got some kind of implant that was listening to some kind of text device. It could have been a printer, could have been a typewriter, could have been a enciphering machine, and they were sending it out in bursts. And they were very, very difficult to detect. Basically, what they did is that they hid in plain sight. And so oh, he knew. So he went to the chief of station and said, this is what's happening. And basically, nothing was done and no one believed him. Hmm. And people continued to get arrested. And there continued to be problems. And this, this whole thing did not get resolved until six years later. Because a lot of what was happening is CIA said, well, no, what he's talking about didn't really happen. What he saw didn't really happen. But what happened was in 1983, the French discovered an incredibly sophisticated Russian bug in one of their embassies and told the head of NSA about it. And they sent it to Gandhi and they said, uh, hey, you got to do something about this. But what had turned out to happen in about 1981 or so, the director of CIA was so ticked off at Gandhi and the trouble that he was making about this problem that he ordered NSA to get out of the business and to stand down. Hmm. And so when the French bug came and the head of information security at NSA, a really colorful guy named Walt Dealey, came to Gandhi and said, well, you got to get all over this if they're doing this to the French, who are a third-rate power – what are they doing to us? They must have stuff there we can't even find. And Gandhi said, I can't. The CIA director has told me can't do it. And Walt Dealey says to him, what would it take? And jokingly, Gandhi says, well, you'd have to get a letter from President Reagan. So three days later, Dealey <laughs> comes back and he has a letter from President Reagan. He had gone to the White House and gotten Reagan to sign a letter authorizing Gandhi to go over to Moscow and solve the problem. This is a risky move on, on his part to 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 go over people's heads to to the president himself. There could have been repercussions for this. Yes, absolutely. It was a huge career risk because he went over his boss's head at NSA, the secretary of defense, the national security advisor. 
But Dealey was a guy who was a really rough character. He had no college education originally. He joined NSA as a sergeant and clawed his way up to be the number three official at NSA. And Mm -hmm. he was a street fighter. He really was a tyrant. And you can think of him as kind of a Patton-like character. Hmm. And uh, it reminds me of something Admiral King said about warfare in the Atlantic during World War II. He said, when the shooting starts, go get the sons of bitches. And there's no doubt that that was Dealey. And, you know, he didn't care what people thought of him. He cared about the mission. And he was going to do what he thought was right. And he didn't care what anyone else thought. And that's a tough person to work with. But in cases like this, that's what you have to have. And although the story is mostly about Gandhi, in a way, Walt Dealey is the real hero because he had the courage to go to the White House and get this thing unstuck. And what is your sense of where things stand today in terms of the the communications and collaboration between our own intelligence agencies? It's very poor, in my opinion. Uh, In fact, I wanted to write this book when I first learned about the story after I left the government. And Gandhi said, no, you're going to destroy the relationship with CIA and NSA. Mm. And I said, that's impossible. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, in, you know, after 9-11, I was head of science and technology at NSA. I went to my counterpart at CIA, a deputy director there, and I said, hey, let's cooperate. And he said, Al-Qaeda is our target. You're our enemy. Get out of here. I can't tell you how many meetings I was in across the intelligence community after 9-11 where someone would say, oh, I guess it's going to take another 9-11 to get us to cooperate. And I would say, wasn't one enough? What is your outlook? I mean, as are we doomed by the nature of us being humans with these these tribal tendencies? Are we always going to have this infighting? Is there any hope for, for working beyond this and uh, everybody working together? We're never going to stop people from being tribal. The question is whether we let it hurt us more than it helps us. In the intelligence world, competition is actually essential. You don't want groupthink. You don't want everybody reaching the same conclusion because they're all on the same page. You want a diversity of opinions. You want there to be tension because no one gets it right all the time. And in fact, that's why CIA was created. The uh, Washington establishment realized that if the Pentagon was the only one who got to say what the Russians were doing, they would naturally say, oh, the Russians are going to wipe us out tomorrow in order to get bigger budgets. So they created CIA to be a counterweight to that. So it's not a matter of whether tribalism is bad. Tribalism is a fact of life. It's going to be there forever. But great leaders learn how to harness that and turn it in a positive direction. So I think that's the important point. If you try to fight human nature, you are going to lose every time. You can't fight it. It's a wave. So instead of being swamped by that wave, you have to learn how to surf that wave. That's Eric Hazeltine. His new book is The Spy in Moscow Station, a counter-spy's hunt for a deadly Cold War threat. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.